This is episode number 316. What is the purpose of hardship in our lives with Ron Baker? Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Outs podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement that I wanted to make is an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming event in Austin, Texas on September 23rd called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. What this is, if this is your first time hearing about it, is a three-day experience where you'll get a chance to hear stories from speakers from all over the world, as well as be a part of breakout sessions that are intended to help you identify the origins of your fears and transform them into strengths. If you'd like to know more details about this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to get the latest details. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our work by either making a contribution through our website or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Oleg. It's a real pleasure. No, thank you. Thank you. And as I made a joke, and I'll remake it again, I always find it funny by what people choose to put in the response to my question initially. And the two things that you put is A, how do you get your message out there effectively? And the second part is how do you improve the backhand backspin? I clearly show Top my life. Top spin <laughs> clearly shows my yeah, lack of I, knowledge when it comes to the tennis game. Yeah. And I, I expect a clear answer by the end of this interview, by the okay. way. <laughs> well, I sure hope it comes from you because considering my lack of experience in that, I, I don't think I'll be able to add much to it. No besides problem. maybe ask some questions and clarify certain things about the game that I uh, actually, I only played maybe once, two times. Yeah. One time, at one time, I remember it. I was playing it with my brother. We were at um, we were on vacation in Florida at a place. I think it's called Ocean Side, and we went onto the tennis court. He served me one, and I hit it back, and I hit it over the fence. Uh, I didn't even know that was possible. For baseball. I I was <laughs> I was meant for some other sport other than that, but. You know, I'm glad we're able to connect. Uh, I'm glad that we were introduced to begin with. And the, the best way that I figured that we can even kick off this conversation is with something that you mentioned prior to us hitting the record button. Yeah. And that's obstacles and challenges. Do you believe there is a purpose in life for the obstacles that we are presented with? And if so, what made you recognize that throughout your own journey as far as there is some deeper meaning behind all of this? 
starting out with a small question. I think. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Over the hour, you'll get to know me more. And yeah. you know I'm full of those. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. It's great. I love the opportunity to respond to this question because it is a very specific set of answers, but I think it needs a little context. How I teach my clients around the world is that there are three primary facets of self, child, adult, and soul. We perceive life differently as a child versus an adult, but we also perceive life differently as a soul. And so when we answer a question, it kind of needs to address all three. So if you say to the child, there's a purpose for why you have this challenge and we're too young to understand it, it can seem off-putting and insensitive. If we say to an adult, there is a purpose to this challenge and your opportunity is to seek out what you actually need within the challenge and then how do you respond and nurture those needs and then on a soul level we say of course there's a purpose there is divine order in all things we just don't know it when the challenge is getting set up and i've taught thousands of people around the world and i've never had someone walk in and go i I'm so glad I got these challenges, <laughs> not one person. And yet, when we have a process and some clarity and an ability to actually nurture whatever it is, we find that there is true purpose and that we can live into that purpose, such as what you shared before we began, and that was, I'm now as an adult versus a child, I am glad that I had my particular challenges because otherwise I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be helping people overcome their odds. Mm -hmm. And so you've lived into some of the solutions and gratitude and clarity, but it is not fun to have the setup of some of these core challenges. And I'm more than happy to share some of mine as we go in the conversation. So there's an answer. Yeah. You know, I think for me, there are a couple of things that you said that I resonate with. First is embracing that concept that there is a purpose behind some of these challenges and hardships. And the second part that I found is this sense of purpose. I, and I'll be really curious to hear your uh, perspective on this as well. For me, what I've ultimately ended up finding is that, A, I get to choose a purpose, and then over time, I get to refine that purpose. For the longest time, I didn't understand that. And I think yep. a lot of it has to do with the fact that purpose, I think, has a completely different meaning, in my opinion, when it comes to U.S., and that's you have to find this grand sense of purpose. It's not okay <laughs> just to be kind. It's not okay to hold a door for someone. You have to have this massive sense of purpose. And I think that's something glamorous. The, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think I found a lot of the challenge lies for myself as well as other people when they say, I don't know what my purpose is, is because mm -hmm. it's, it's put too far out of reach for mm. any individual to actually attain. And I'm yeah. curious throughout your own life, A, what was your introduction to this concept of purpose to begin with? 
and B, how did you <clears throat> kind of navigate to find your own definition throughout life? Many parts to the answer again. Um, I lived piece by piece by piece into the discoveries, which is what I think all people do if they're paying attention and, and committed to finding solutions, resolutions, etc. So I'm going to see if I can pull back in a couple of the things that occurred to me as you were sharing. I'm not used to my brain going blank. It, was, <laughs> it, it, it wanted to go in 10 different directions, which was the problem. So I'm just going to start somewhere here. Yeah. So start with one and then we'll go all the way to 10. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So challenges are there as something we have not yet learned to negotiate. Let's start simple rather than going to core major wounded stuff, which a lot of us have. Everything in life that's new is a challenge. When we're tiny, learning to tie our shoe is a challenge. Learning to read, learning to do math is a challenge. Why do we have the challenge? So that we can develop a capacity and claim a piece of self. So when I learn to read, I have literally claimed a part of me that will enhance the rest of my life. And so if we embrace that anything new is a challenge, or how do I go deeper? Or how do I improve the top spin on my backhand? It's a challenge to claim more capacity to have a more complete, fulfilling experience of life. So challenge doesn't have to be some ominous, scary, threatening word. It's just newness. I haven't learned how to do this yet. And so if we can start from a very childlike perspective, I wish we had all been taught this as little kids, hmm. that there's no shame and then if we had been taught you're a person of great value no matter what challenges you have everybody has challenges yours are unique to you you are still i'm going to jump to soul level a sacred individual on a soul journey yours is perfect don't compare yourself to anyone else face your challenges and build your sense of self and become the unique individual that you are. And then you get to plug yourself into life in these beautiful, unique ways. If we had gotten that, we wouldn't be in the shame compensation of needing a glamorous purpose. Most of the time, including myself, when I started, I need to prove my worth. Why? Yes. Oh, yes. One For example years. was, oh, yeah, we can all relate in one way or another. I grew up in a house with a father who never said a single thing to me. Not one conversation that I remember. And that was a constant message of you don't really matter. Now, he may not have intended that in any way, and I mm -hmm. found out in my adulthood that he did not, but that was the constant message. And so I second guess myself and my worth 
so much on a daily basis. And so when I discovered I had some talents in the performing arts, I wanted to use that and I have to become famous and I have to have a glamorous high level. Well, guess what? I actually reached those levels. Mm -hmm. I performed over 60 leading roles in opera and Broadway all over the world. And let me tell you, it did not take away my wound. Mm -hmm. It did not heal the emptiness I felt on the inside. I didn't know how to focus on the inside. And so my particular challenges created a compensation of I have to have a glamorous purpose. And then I discovered even fulfilling the outer without the inner is not going to be fulfilling. So I then shifted my focus to learning how to have the inner and that made all the difference in the world. Do you think we need a sense of external validation to begin with in order to develop internal validation? Well, I'm going to shift the word to affirmation. Okay. Because how can like, for instance, let's just choose there are tons of celebrities mm. and we know some of them have major wounded stuff without naming any names. Yeah. They have millions of people who are validating them. I see you as having tons of validity. That doesn't change how I feel about myself if I already have wounding from childhood like myself where my father didn't acknowledge me. Mm -hmm. So I like to say we have nine levels of nurturing that we all need that affirm rather than validate, affirm that we matter. Mm -hmm. Now I have never taught one person from anywhere in the world who received the depth of those nine levels of nurturing that they needed. We have various levels and I'm not here to blame or shame mommy and daddy for not giving it yeah. because how can they give it if they didn't get it? So yeah. it's like, if I said to you, Oleg, I need to build a jet engine. Tell me now, go. Mm. And you're like, uh, I can't provide, <laughs> you, you, we, we, we just need to go to the backhand in tennis. Yeah. I can't teach you how to do top spin on a backhand, Ron. I don't have any experience in that. It's exactly the same thing with nurturing. If nobody taught them an experience of nurturing, how am I going to provide that? Well, we're all doing our best. Yeah. But prior to doing my inner journey, if I had a child, I wouldn't have known how to offer the depths of nurturing that I give to my clients. Mm -hmm. So if we had gotten the affirmation to begin with, now let's swing the pendulum to if we had had the most amazing nurturing parents on the planet, mm. that is not the solution and end result. Mm -hmm. Because just because they value me doesn't mean that I've learned how to practice valuing myself. Yeah. So if you say to a child, I'm so proud of you, that is stunning affirmation. Well, what do we need next? What are you proud of about yourself? I hope you're proud of you. And it teaches us how to recognize that. Mm -hmm. I'll give one more practical example. I was coaching my niece in singing and we finished, we, we had been coaching for several years. And when we finished, 
whatever song she was doing, I said, so what did you do well? She went blank. She said, oh, I was so prepared to tell you what I needed to fix and improve and enhance. Oh, and I was like, I am so sorry. I have done you a major disservice. And believe me, we will be correcting that now. We're always going to start with what did you do well? Mm -hmm. And then we'll enhance if you want to enhance. Mm -hmm. But you're lovable right there. And there's so much already to celebrate. But we don't get taught any of this. Yeah. But we need to. No, there is a great focus on the mistakes, what I've learned. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to have had or still continue to have a phenomenal group of parents who did teach me many of the things that I am today. But one of those things that I've realized as far as the schooling and some of the other systems, and once again, not pointing fingers, it just, it is, it was what it was. Yeah. And that was, it, there was a great focus on the mistakes. The first question is, what can you improve? How can you do better? When the reality of the matter is you might have done it perfectly well, there might not have been anything that you could improve. I, I'm, I am a believer in growth and improvement, but at the same time, I do believe that there's, if growth and improvement exists, there has to be moments where things that don't need to be improved also exist in order to be able to create a perspective for the other thing. So I, I'm a huge believer of that. And I'm really glad that you were able to consciously recognize that. And sounds like it almost developed. Well, I grew practice. into it. I, I didn't pop out of the womb with that, <laughs> but I, but I certain, but I certainly grew into by evaluating what works well, what doesn't work so well. I don't have to judge what's not working well. I learn by identifying in any scenario, whether it's a relationship, a job, tennis game, it doesn't matter. Let me identify what's working well so that I can repeat that and claim that and count on that. And now let me balance it with what do I need to work on? Do I have the tools to work on it? How can I get help if I need the help? And so both sides can exist in every moment if we allow it. What or who inspired you to go down this path? My goodness. Because this is a slightly different journey as well as mine that both of us are on. And so I'm, yeah. I'm always curious as far as what was that initial, not maybe initial moment, but who were those people that said, hey, you might actually like doing this. Or you might enjoy this journey more than the journey that is put in front of you. Well, if we go all the way back to childhood, no one ever explored or suggested, you might try this, you might try that. However, music had been really big in the generations before me. No one ever pursued it. Well, that's not true. Uh, one person in the family had pursued it professionally. So I had music around me. My mother had an amazing voice. My grandfather had a beautiful voice and they seemed happiest when they were singing. And so I paid attention to that and I was like, oh, if only I could sing, then it, everything would be better. Well, because I had musical interests, that was one of my inherent 
gifts, the interests, not necessarily the talent. If we all pay attention to the fact that we have gifts, which are natural interests, natural priorities, my interest might be in science, my interest might be in history, or math, or music, or sports. But if we pay attention to what our natural interests are, they emerge. So rather than someone encouraging me, oh, you should try this, what would happen is my uncle came to visit and he was a phenomenal pianist. And I watched in wonder when I was, I don't know, five, six, seven. And they found me at the piano plunking out some of the melodies of what I had heard. And they went, oh, he has an interest. Let's see what kind of capacity or doesn't matter how far it goes if he enjoys it. And so they made it possible for me to take lessons. And then I did that all the way through college. And it was a beautiful thing. And then when I discovered what I do now, which is I'm a bioenergetics therapist, that's a fancy word for saying I'm a nurturer and I teach people how to empower themselves. So when I discovered those gifts, it was more being interested in people in a big way and what makes people tick. And I said from the time I was a little kid, I just know that there are clearer answers than what you're telling me. And so I was seeking constantly as a child and then it developed as a gift I had no idea I had, which was the capacity to feel the pain in other people's bodies. And I could recognize where they needed massage or moving the energy and discovered over time that I could help them do that. Now, when I have clients over the last 25 years at my School of Self Mastery, I teach people how to become aware of all that in themselves and teach them how to open up those blockages and become grounded and to nurture their feelings because I can feel it and then I teach them to feel it. So it sort of all just evolved from me paying attention and asking questions and then people responded after the fact more. Mm -hmm. There are two, there are a couple of things that I think you and I share. First is the common theme of sinning. I used to, I used to sing uh, back when I was at the orphanage in Russia when I was nine. I ended up living there from nine to twelve, and it was actually the singing that got me out of this, out of, uh, out of Russia, and gave me the opportunity to, you know, present in front of a group of parents who eventually ended up adopting me. So, I, I see what you are describing as far as falling in love with it. And there's just something about passion, I think also to a degree that you just can't put it into words, right? Yes. It, it's yes. a feeling, it's, it's some sort of energy or boost that you just feel within your body that it's like, I want to do this. I want Whatever to be a part of this about. world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I find that to be fascinating. I'm curious to, to maybe not go in too much in de detail, but to give some sort of overview of it. When it comes to awareness, the component that you mentioned, yeah. A, how, how does a person begin developing that to begin with? Where does awareness begin? 
Well, I think it's seated inside each one of us and we get taught to be less aware because if reality as we perceive it as a child doesn't feel safe, then we look away. We don't want to be aware. We want to numb out. And this continues into adulthood with all kinds of addictions and whether you escape into work or whether you're escaping into alcohol and drugs or whatever it is, we make ourselves less aware than we have the potential to be. And so awareness is merely a choice. Let me start paying attention. I get all my clients to do it in different ways, depending on who they are, what they're interested in. One of the best ways is to get somebody to focus on what they're interested in, rather than just saying, become aware, start paying attention to life. <laughs> That's too big. Mm -hmm. And so start paying attention to the tennis players you love. Start paying attention to what moves you about country music. Start paying attention to the people you're around. Who moves you? What qualities do they have? What about life makes it more meaningful for you? Doesn't have to be the same as anyone else. And so if we start paying attention, and then we need a place to plug in and talk about it and share if we really want to deepen it. And it's so helpful. But if I didn't feel safe with connections as a child, it seems scary. Well, it was when we were six. But when we're 26, 46, and 96, yeah. it's not scary in the same way. It's like when you go back to some house that you remember from childhood, and it was huge and you go back and you're like what yeah <laughs> that's not that's not huge at all yeah and the same thing with our childhood perceptions of challenges they're much more manageable when we're an adult and can take it a step at a time and get the help we need i used to believe when i was a kid that there was someone or something in the closet i i don't know if you can relate to mm -hmm. this but I remember the boogeyman, I get it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was going to sleep and I would tuck myself under two blankets, put it over my head, which made it extremely challenging to breathe. But uh, literally course. that was the only way I could go to sleep because yes. I was so afraid of finding out what that was in there. Mm -hmm. And over the years, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, yeah, going into probably into my twenties or at least teens, I started to question it more as far as why am I truly afraid of of it. What am I afraid of to begin with? And I think that's part of the challenge that I realized throughout my own journey is not choosing to question it and accepting it for what it is. Well, if you don't mind me responding from being aware of some of your story, do you mind? Or would I ask mm -hmm. permission? So when we are little using you or me as an example, mm -hmm. and we can't count on the authority figures of mommy, daddy, or whoever our caregivers happen to be. Yeah. Then we feel so afraid. Then we look for reasons to justify it. 
And so we look into the darkness of a closet or some such thing, and we imagine what we fear when we don't feel protected. And so I heard you share the story of your mom being drunk as an example. I also had a mother who was an alcoholic for a few years. So we share more things than you realize. And so that creates such a fear. And so we then start to build it up in our head to justify it. You went under a blanket. I would look in the mirror and make scary faces at myself about the thing I imagined or the person I imagined who would come in and get me. And I would terrify myself by making faces with my own face. And I went in one time to say goodnight to one of my nieces and she was under the covers like you. And I said, what are you doing under there? She said, I'm hiding from someone who might come and get me. And I said, how many nights have you been alive? A lot. She was very little. A lot. Well, how many nights has anybody ever come in and gotten you? None. I said, just pay attention to that. You're safer than you think. Now, if I had said that to you, when you had an alcoholic mother who was passed out in the other room, it wouldn't have mm -hmm. been as effective because you were like, there's the challenge and the threat. It's real. <laughs> yeah. And so you have to respond within the context of what's there. But now that you're an adult, I would say you have choices. Mm -hmm. You can turn on the light. You can close the door to the closet. You can check. You can. There, there's so many things to face that particular fear taking your inner child in and showing him how safe it's been or how many nights you've been alive now that you're a fully fledged adult. Now it could be time to go back to that child and show some reality. And I know that you went through a lot of threatening things. So yeah. I won't keep exposing your story. I'll leave that for you to share, but <laughs> it's relevant to all of us. It is. It and is. so I had my own version for sure. Mm-hmm. When it, when, when it comes to fear, because I think this is a very, at least for me, this is a very interesting topic and something that I've been curious and learning more about. How much of fear do you think we're born with? And how much of fear do you think we manifest through our own experience? I think it's learned. You think fear is learned? I think that, yes. Now we have soul history, but that's a big subject. So we're mm -hmm. just going to let past lives and stuff go for the moment. Mm -hmm. Just in this lifetime, we come in as a baby. We don't come in with activated fears. So in the first 18 months of life, our first energy center is awakening and we need three levels of nurturing, which is physical safety, physical connection, and affection. And if we get those in a consistent way for those first months of life when we're fully dependent, we learn to land in our bodies and feel safe and grounded. But when mommy, daddy don't know how to do that and they're all wrapped up in all their wounded stuff, then we don't feel safe, connected with reliable affection and we learn fear. And then we just build on it from there when we add emotional stuff and all kinds of things. And so, as I said, I think it is learned. And the good news 
out of the thousands of people that I have taught, haven't ever encountered a fear that can't be nurtured as an adult and resolved by percentages mm. better and better and better period. Mm -hmm. I've learned a similar thing. I think for me, a friend of mine said this however many weeks or months ago, he said he spent half of his life learning and the other half unlearning what he had learned. In the first half. And a lot of yes, it had to do with yes. fear. A lot of it had to do with mm -hmm. all of these different fears that he chose yeah. to engage with. Yeah. And I related yeah. to much of his story, as I'm sure you might be able to as well. Fear of judgment, fear of rejection, fear of how am I going to be perceived for quite a number of years, I had a fear of authenticity. I feared to be my authentic self due to being rejected. And I think a lot of it had to do with a my surrounding from early childhood years when I was looking to other people as role models, as individuals that I could mimic their behavior around, which, you know, turned out not to be uh, the best of things to do. But at the same time, it got me here. And I, and I think that's the thing that I'm at this current chapter, I'm appreciating more and more of, and that's a not fearing to make mistakes. Cause I genuinely believe that mistakes as a, another friend of mine said yesterday, she said, missteps, they're just part of the journey. I mean, obviously if I knew better information, I would probably make a better decision, right? It's, it's you plain can make and more informed decisions. Yes. But I think it going back to your point, I do, I do agree with you. I think to a degree it is learned. And I think mm -hmm. unless I choose to look it in the mirror and challenge it, all I'm going to do is pass it down or I'm going to project yeah. it onto other people. Well, we get trapped in the wounded child perceptions. That's why I point out that child, adult and soul. And even though I've grown into an adult body doesn't guarantee that I've grown into an adult awareness and adult perceptions and adult capacities to handle my feelings. And so if we get trapped like a child, then we seek, as you put it out there, validation. And so we fear rejection, which is a form of invalidation. And so I shared that I grew up with a father who never said a single thing to me. So I knew a threatening perception of invalidation or rejection. So eventually I wake up into adult capacities and say, wait a minute, how do I feel about myself? Am I showing up for myself? I'm so busy looking for other people to validate me that I'm not showing up for me. And so as an adult, it becomes, how dare you treat me like I'm treating myself? How dare you ignore me like I'm ignoring me? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's an adult reality. That's a wake up call. And I teach all my clients to become the adult nurturing authority in their own lives. How you feel about you determines everything. Now, another adult reality question is, can you think of a single person who's ever made a single choice, whether they're a leader, a politician, an author, a celebrity that everyone agrees with, it's just not reality because people are learning the lessons they need to learn and they're 
processing it through whatever their perceptions, whether they're wounded or empowered, happen to be. And so we need space to have our own journey of awakening. And I don't have to be threatened because every person doesn't agree or validate me, nor do I agree and validate every other person and every choice they make. But how do I feel about myself I can be in charge of? And how do I make choices that make me proud of me? What choices can I make that leave me feeling great about myself? That became the one core guiding principle that I put into this book that I have released in the last week that I want so many people to know about and hear about and consider for themselves because that's pretty simple. What choices can I make that leave me feeling great about me? And if I evaluate a set of choices, then I don't have to put all the focus on whether somebody else is going to agree with my authentic self like you mentioned. Because if I give up my authentic self to try and get validation from another person, they're not validating me anyway. They're validating my adjusted masked choice. So if I go ahead and give myself the validation, acknowledgement of this is simply what matters to me, what I want to choose, what I want to say, what I need to say, and I'll let everybody else have their process, their feelings. Then we just feel so much more solid because the other thing is not even possible. Yeah. And so there's a response to that, even though I didn't touch on the mistakes <laughs> part. Well, I, I think it's a really, it's an interesting point because A, it makes me realize something that I am a firm believer of, and that is if I don't, what's the right way? If I don't like everyone, therefore not everyone is going to like me fully, right? I think they're, and I don't know if that's the correct terminology, but I don't think it's, in my opinion, I don't think it's possible to be everyone's cup of tea. I think for some people, you're going to be their coffee. I think it's plain, like, this is what my experience has taught me to this point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not necessarily yeah. me saying I don't like them for the human being they are or anything like that, but it's just certain character traits or certain things that may not align with who I am or what I believe yeah. in. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. okay to have the difference. And I'm realizing this now more and more is I'm really embracing the fact that we are all different. And I think that's beautiful that we really it are. It is beautiful. Because now I'm able to see elements of myself that I may not have been able to see before due to yes. seeing someone else's difference. Yes. We constantly learn and inspire each other, whether we have paid attention and we're aware or not. And so not everybody is my cup of tea at a certain stage of learning. Let's just imagine that certain people have qualities that trigger my early wounding. They remind me of a particular person or archetype that brings up threat. They're not going to be my cup of tea to begin with. But if I heal myself on the inside and I learn to feel safe and see life from a broader, more compassionate, less fearful, protective perspective, 
then eventually I'd be more prepared to see the gifts in those people. But to begin with, I've got to be right where I am. I have to be true to myself at every stage of development if I'm going to set myself up well. Yeah. You might have actually answered this partially, but I'm curious as a way to give people additional insight into who you are and what you do and, and why you do what you do. Why did you write your book to begin with? Um, first of all, this journey of my life is called Bright Lights, Big Empty, which is exactly what we've already discussed. Me going after the glamour and finding that I was still empty. That was the starting point of the journey. So the reason I wrote this book, first of all, I was encouraged instead of sharing the process that I teach as my first book, I was encouraged by a New York Times bestselling author to share my own story first so that people could learn who I am, learn to trust and relate to me. And the reason I was so excited to share my journey is because I realized my journey is everyone's journey. The journey from wounded protection, self-doubt, insecurity on the inside at least, into the resolutions that we all seek. And so the subtitle of the book is A Journey of Profound Awakening into more and more of self. And so when I went and had my first career performing around the world, I knew that the inner was missing and I had gotten a world education and I had sought out teachers and healers and all kinds of indigenous people. And I wanted to learn about every approach that I could get my hands on. And that all pointed toward, you need to get connected to your inner self. I didn't even know what that meant, but to keep it simple, to get in touch with who I am most authentically, how I feel, what I need, what I want. And people go, I don't know what I need. And I go, yes, I understand that. Neither did I when I began the inner journey. But as I began to get in touch with learning and gained help from various teachers, I learned how to do that. And it made such a difference that I dedicated my life to helping other people. And so going all the way back to where we began this conversation with, is there a purpose in challenges? By having a father who never said a single word to me, it put a lot of focus on the importance of that nurturing paternal energy. I spent my X amount of time in my adulthood seeking to identify what had been missing. What were the needs? What did I wish he knew how to do? I learned how to give that to myself and then I began sharing it with other people. And when people consistently were making these profound shifts, I let go of the performing career and dedicated my life to what eventually became a school of self-mastery, where I train people how to claim and align with their soul purpose, which starts out with learning to love and value self. It's a beautiful name, by the way, the school of self-mastery. I like it. Yeah, I really, I really love it too. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I need to become a master. 
I need to be some glamorous end result. No, I need to learn how to master myself, what I do with my own energy, what I do with my own choices, gaining the education that I need to be on the journey of self-mastery, not the end result destin or destination of mm -hmm. self-mastery. Mm -hmm. Where can people find out more about the book yeah. and about the work that you're doing? Well, thank you for asking. Um, my website is my name, ronbaker.net. And if I may, I'm wanting to share for the very first time some really good news. My book just got released this week and two days in, it has become an Amazon bestseller in a few categories. And so it's very exciting to see that people are hungry for clear answers and a clear map. And even though I share the book, I share my journey through stories, adventures, challenges, breakthroughs, lessons learned. It's still a very clear map of moving from wounded child to empowered adult into the edges of awakening soul consciousness. And so you can get that on Amazon, Bright Lights, Big Empty, or you can just go to my website and link to it from there. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, Please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we we'll look forward to having you next time.